My name is Ashley, and this is Let's Talk Dispatch. I do. <laughs> You're gonna do it. Do it really well. And I believe the world needs more dispatchers. In the mud, blood, and beer. Years that I'm not working Fourth of July. So on this show, with the help of my guests, we will educate, empower, and support the heroes behind the headset. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch with me, Ashley, the Raspy Dispatcher. Hope you guys' work weeks are going well. I'm happy to report that I feel like I'm thriving on my new shift. It's a 10 to 10, which is a little weird. Haven't done that before, but something about not having to wake up at like 5 a.m. in the morning is just treating me well. So I hope you folks are doing well on your shifts as well. And one thing that I'm trying to do with my new shift, because we go, we do like every four months we rotate which is interesting because at my previous agency, we did every year. So for this four months, I'm kind of just focusing on doing things consistently that make me feel good. So like my workouts and all of that, the way I eat, I'm just trying to do it consistently rather than tracking it and making it like a, I succeeded or didn't succeed thing. I'm just trying to be consistently doing everything that I want to do. And I feel like that's been helping me because uh, I don't feel bad when I miss it. It's just I didn't hit it that day rather than like a win-loss type of keeping track. So if that helps you, I hope so. It's helping me. And we, you know, we have to be healthy and take care of ourselves on these shifts so we can continue to support and help folks who answer, who call us for help at work. So my guest today is currently a dispatcher, former communications supervisor with over four years experience as a dispatcher, as well as previous experience in EMS, and on the road as an EMT basic. She's joining me today to talk about her journey as a dispatcher, intra-office relationships, and dealing with toxic work environments, which we know do occur quite often in our comm centers. My guest today is Leanne. Hi, Leanne. Hi. How are you? I am fabulous. How are you? I am doing well. I actually just got back from kickboxing you know, today. And um, I'm a little sore. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> a little sore, but I bet you feel like so awesome afterwards, that adrenaline rush. I feel like a million bucks. Um, I also <laughs> feel like I'm gonna earn my nap that I'm gonna take after this. <laughs> so there is that as well. Uh, so Leah, tell us a little about yourself, how you got into public safety, what brings you on the show today? So I started in public safety in about 2018 as an EMT basic. I did mostly like IFT transfers, occasional nursing home calls, um, eventually ended up going into dispatch and kind of ended up staying in there. Um, I haven't worked on the road in quite some time. I'm still working on getting my ticket back. But um, also my stepfather's a retired fire captain for Maui County. So he's definitely fueled my passion for staying in public service you know, telling me don't leave, don't leave, you know, don't go do something else. This is what you were meant to do. That's awesome. It's in the blood, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't imagine like, you know, being EMS, EMT in the field. Like I feel like for me, and I've said it a few times on this podcast, like medical is like, yeah, I'm okay. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to do it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to smell it. Uh, I don't want to smell it. Yeah. <laughs> well, before EMS, I actually did in-center dialysis. Like I provided in-center dialysis treatment. So like 
the whole bodily fluid thing did not gross me out. <laughs> Superpower, let me tell you, because I, I don't possess it. I don't. <laughs> so what was it like for the, the in the beginning for you with transitioning from in the field into the dispatch center? Was that a hard transition? So or- I transitioned from the field to dispatch right at the start of COVID, oh. which was rather... Uh, so my EMD class was actually like the last in-person class they had for my company because basically after that, they did the whole state of emergency thing. So I ended up getting moved back to the road briefly before I went back into dispatch because we didn't have the call volume with the IFT. And I was actually working at one of the drive through test sites that my company had started uh, at the start of COVID when they did like the initial testing. So it was a little hard getting back into comms because I'd been in the field again and had to kind of get back into the training and be like, oh, now I can pick up the PSAP phone and not stutter. I'm good. <laughs> what a weird time to be making that transition because COVID, I mean, for folks who dispatched during COVID, it was very weird like just the 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 sick time like our our department's figuring out like where the sick bank would come from and you know mandating you to stay home and then how do we dispatch our officer what calls are we going to go to because of the risk of the cross-contamination all that was such a weird time to be yeah, it was like the twilight zone because then you also had the option of selecting, okay, is this going to be like what we called code isolation and mm-hmm. getting used to doing the the EMD with that. It's like, this is so new. After a while, we got rid of it because we didn't really have to use it anymore. But it was definitely a very weird time to be transitioning into dispatch from the road because we still had to wear masks in our comm center. Mm-hmm. Um I had to like go in and spray it. Like we had to wipe down the desks after every shift just to prevent the spread and people still ended up getting sick. Yeah. I remember we had like these, I don't know, like uh, stands of like plastic that would put in our cubicle in between us. And I like remember me and my, my shift mate or whatever playing like tic-tac-toe on it. Like it, <laughs> because it's just, it's just not, it was, I don't know. Sorry, Zach PD, but it was kind of flimsy. I don't know what it was protecting, but it was we didn't actually get to the point of having plexiglass in between our workstations. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it was. It wasn't the best option, but even uh, like for dispatching in that time, we had to start because I did only police. So I didn't do, deal with any medical um, or anything like that. But one of the questions we had to start working in to our calls was like, do you have any symptoms of coughing, you know, fever, whatever. And it's kind of weird being on, being on a, a criminal call, like a in progress thing and being like, okay, what way did the guy go with the gun? Okay, cool. How are you? Are you coughing? Like, what is, <laughs> did you notice him coughing as he was running away? Like it was just, and it was one of those questions we had to ask because of the world we were dispatching in, but it was definitely weird. It's so couldn't imagine having to try to train in that weird time. Yeah, it was definitely an odd time to do that. I mean, we got used to it. Everybody had to do like a almost like a training on the new ProQA on how to do the the code isolation because we had a lot of hospital, like a lot of nursing homes that our our nine one one trucks would go to. So it's like, okay, you know, we got to make sure we ask these questions because we got to protect the fire department, police officers, as well as our crews. So it just got to be kind of difficult, and sometimes they didn't want to answer either. 
which made it even more difficult. Like, okay, I'm just trying to send you help. Can you at least answer my questions? <laughs> what? Well, Carla's not answering her questions. That never happens. Oh, like, no, that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> so have you only done uh, medical and fire? Is that your... So I, I did PD um, at one point, and it was just, it was a lot harder for me to go into because I never really worked that side. Mm -hmm. Like it was mostly fire and EMS that I was used to. And I was just like, no, this is not the right fit. I just can't. I mean, I struggled with it. I mean, granted, like my training was kind of streamlined because, oh, well, you have dispatch experience, but not really because it's not PD dispatch experience. Mm -hmm. And we didn't EMD calls at that department. So I was just like, okay, my skills, I feel like they're going to waste. (laughs) No, definitely. And, you know, for folks who are out there thinking about what kind of dispatch job they want to get into, I mean, it's, it's a very valid question you need to ask yourself. Do you want to do just police? Do you want to be involved in medical and fire? You know, some agencies do it all. Some only do policing, some only do medical, some do fire and medical. I mean, those are significant things you should be researching when you're applying for this job because, if you're like Ashley, you're not going to want to do medical. Um, but if you're like Leanne and you have this medical experience, you're going to probably be more uh, more willing to go into the medical side of this line of work. Before we continue, we wanted to take a moment to thank our partners at Prepared. You can learn more about the awesome support and technology Prepared provides to first responders by heading to prepared911.com. Partners like Prepared help to continue our mission of supporting, empowering, and educating the heroes under the headset. You can learn more about our resources and partnerships by heading to theraspydispatcher.com. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, it's definitely very hard to kind of disconnect myself from like trying to treat the patient on the phone because I've gotten calls actually recently I got a call and they were just asking about signs and symptoms of a stroke. And I'm just like, okay, I can't give you medical advice. That's why we're going to send you the ambulance. And then the caller eventually just said, no, don't send anybody. I was like, okay. Like, I can imagine that's super tough for you because you have these skills and abilities to help someone and liability wise, like I know we had uh, some folks who tra- who lateraled to my old department and they lateraled from an agency where they did medical and now they're only doing PD and you get a medical something on the line and you can't give that advice liability wise. You have to follow the protocol of transferring them to, you know, the fire department and having them do their thing. But I mean, that's gotta be tough with having that knowledge and then just not being able to give it out because of liability straight up. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you remember any of your first calls for service, especially being in the COVID era of like how that went for you or. Um, so actually one of the first calls that comes to mind, and this was actually one of my, EM, my EMS side, like my road calls. Mm-hmm. So ironically enough, um, I was on an ALS transfer truck and we provided like ALS intercept for a neighboring town that didn't have ALS. Mm-hmm. And it was for a trauma for a U-Haul that a woman decided she was going to try to drive her U-Haul into a low clearance bridge with her child who was, yeah, she tried to sardine can it. So, <laughs> this ended up being in the town that I would, would actually dispatch PD in at one point. Mm-hmm. So 
she had her 10 year old son in the front of the U-Haul with her, which just secured in the lap belt. So yeah, it didn't turn out too well, but the partner that I had, who is, I consider my EMS sister, like we've been friends for, I don't even know how long now. Um, the way that she handled the call, she calmed down the, ch- the child. Cause you know, you're going in an ambulance. Somebody's trying to poke and prod you with needles. Yeah. It's a little scary to be a kid in that situation. And I just remember how calm she was, how compassionate. And I'm like, okay, that's how I want to handle the rest. Like any call, whether it's, you know, on the road or then when I transition to dispatch, how I do my dispatching and how I do my EMD, like always show compassion. Don't try to brush anyone off. So that's something that always sticks with me because I always remember like, Hey, remember that call? She's like, I'll never forget that call. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just, I mean, because of the COVID pandemic, when I started in dispatch, it's really hard to remember any of those calls because they all seem to blend together because a lot of them were sadly upper respiratory And it was the people who were getting COVID and were getting extremely sick that they were like, okay, I can't breathe now. I'm going to call 911. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that's a lot of the call volume that we ended up getting at the start of the pandemic was those respiratory issues. And, and how did that feel as a dispatcher? Because, you know, it's honestly until you kind of just said it out loud, something I really didn't think of while dealing with the pandemic is that like, when, when we think about it, we think about, you know, uh, medical facilities being packed and long wait times and, you know, lots of folks having to quarantine and things of that nature. But I never really thought about, and sorry in advance, uh, the medical dispatcher was having to take a lot of those calls and kind of the burnout that probably came from constantly dealing with COVID related emergency calls for medical. Do you have any thoughts on that? So because we had that uh, EMD tool to actually utilize to say, okay, let's see if this is possibly COVID. Sometimes they would tell us straight out, yeah, I tested positive. I went to urgent care and I tested positive and they told me to call 911 if I started having worsening symptoms. Mm -hmm. So throughout like that first couple of months of COVID where people were just getting it left and right, it was really hard for us to deal with on the 911 side, but also on the IFT side, the amount of vented calls that we did like patients who were intubated going from one facility to another, that those types of transfers upticked. So the lack of resources we had be also because of the pandemic, because crews were getting sick, they were getting tired and burnt out. We didn't have the resources to staff 911 or the IFT. So it kind of just came like, it was like a vicious circle, basically, or cycle. Yeah. No, I, I bet that was really, really tough. Like I said, sorry, folks, we're doing that. I just, I guess I didn't really think about it in the sense of, because I don't deal with medical and dispatching, so it isn't my first thought. But for the folks who do medical dispatching, like uh, applause to you for that during that COVID time, because it was definitely tough and it was definitely a lot of working and rolling with it in the gray area and just trying to make it through with very limited amount of numbers, especially we already had limited staffing, right, before the pandemic hit. And then the pandemic hits and it's weird kind of being in dispatch or first responder when the pandemic hits, because your work life didn't shift the way a lot of folks did in the world, right? Like a lot of folks, the world stopped. And for me, I was like, I still get up and go to work every single day. I still have to go answer these calls. Like our, our caseload didn't change in the sense other than our calls kind of changed. Like for you folks, the uh, the transfers and things of that nature change for us. Like there's a rise in domestic violence calls because everyone's at home with their people more. And so it was just kind of a very weird time where 
the world stopped, but I think first responders kind of had to keep rolling and definitely, yeah. And their mm -hmm. workloads changed and yet they still had to keep going in this really weird time. <laughs> well, the other part was the, the uptick in psychiatric calls Yes, because people were stuck at home. You know, they were getting depressed because they couldn't leave. Like if you were quarantined, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm missing work. Now I'm missing pay or what have you. And it just, it made a lot of people very depressed and I think, honestly, we definitely saw a very large uptick in psychiatric scene calls and then the transfers to the inpatient facilities. Yeah, yeah, very true. Uptick in the DV and uptick in the mental health, for sure. And, you know, we're still recovering from that, I think, uh, folks getting out of this uh, COVID fog. I don't know if there's a better way to put it. Um, I, I still think we're recovering from from that effect of the COVID world on the first responders out there. So let's talk a little bit about intra-office relationships and toxic work environments that are unfortunately pretty common reality in the dispatch center. Yeah, so honestly, you're always gonna have your type A personalities in there or the people who have been doing it for so long that they're just like okay I'm done like they're grouchy they're salty but at the same time you have like a brand new batch of dispatchers coming in who are like yeah all gung-ho like oh this is so cool I'm gonna answer emergency calls yeah but then it's like they see you know the people have been doing it longer who kind of just like look at them like oh really like here comes the new person I'm just gonna be miserable I'm gonna be unfriendly whatever but in some cases, it's a good thing in a way because some of the newer dispatchers are learning from the older ones mm -hmm. who might not be as grouchy is the best term I can phrase, is the best way I can phrase it. But um, the first comm center that I worked in, it was very hard for me to like get into the little overnight click that they had because like any like small comm center or even technically was like a medium-sized center you're going to have the people who are going to hang out together outside of work and kind of create that like environment where anyone new is going to feel like an outcast mm -hmm. and I 100% felt like an outcast when I first started overnights yeah. and then it got to the point where like I would get yelled at and I'm like okay I didn't realize I was screwing up like you don't have to yell at me in front of the entire room that's one huge thing that I think is something that I've learned as a supervisor is Praise in public, correct in private. Like, there's no need to do any of that in front of anyone. Granted, I am probably guilty of doing it on occasion, but more or less to make a point because after warning somebody so many times to not do something, they're still doing it. Mm -hmm. But it can be difficult when you are given or expected to perform to a certain degree because you have some experience. So the last comm center before my current job was police, fire, and EMS. Mm -hmm. I had all three experiences, however, not doing all at the same time. Like that was a struggle, but I was definitely held to a different standard. And then walking in there, I was like, okay, like I pick up on vibes very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, something's off here. So, I mean, if you walk into a comm center and you immediately hear people talking trash about a former employee, like, that's one big red flag. Yeah. Um, secondly, if you walk in and, like, nobody even will talk to you unless you screw up, that's kind of a big red flag, too. Yeah. So, for me, I was basically miserable after every shift. I would call my boyfriend after work and be like, 
I don't think I can do this. Like I, he's like, no, you can, like you have the experience. I'm like, yeah, but this is like bad. I'm like, this is worse clicky, I guess, clickiness than what I had at my first dispatching job. And that was hard. It was very hard. Um, so eventually after like three weeks, you know, the chief and I came to an understanding that it just wasn't working. I didn't say anything about, Hey, you know, I really felt like I was treated differently than some of the other new trainees. And that's kind of hard, like when you not necessarily lateral transition, but because you have some experience, more is expected from you. Mm. It's kind of hard to try to like get into that little like small group of people that have been doing it for however long, have worked on the road as firefighters or EMTs or even as an officer. Mm. So it's difficult. You have to kind of gauge your surroundings and for me, that was just like, no, my negative energy radar was like on overload. Yeah. And I mean, we, we know we, if you're, you're part of the Facebook book, Facebook groups or in the dispatch world, I mean, there, there's the weed are young uh, type of mentality where, you know, we want our trainees to, to go uphill barefoot in the snow in order to learn how to dispatch and, it's tough. I mean, I could say even as a lateral um, with four years experience going into my lateral that it's hard to relearn this job when you've been doing this job so many different ways and someone else's way, you know, so coming into a new center, if you are someone who is a supervisor, someone with some authority in your center, really creating an accepting environment of that person really getting their footing in the way you dispatch because every single department dispatches so differently than another that even when I lateraled, I was like, I swear I am, I'm a good dispatcher. You know, I had those moments like I've done this, I've taken these calls, but you struggle because you're learning someone else's love language, essentially like how that department likes to hear their calls go out, how they, communicate even abbreviations are different you know my abbreviation at one agency can mean something completely different at this new agency because they're different you know it's the same job but everyone does it a little differently so expecting someone purely because they've had experience to automatically excel learning a whole different setup it's just not realistic and we have to give folks a realistic chance to be successful in this line of work as entry levels, as well as laterals. So at the job that I was a supervisor, we had a couple of people, it wasn't really lateral transfer because it's a private service, but we had a couple of people come over from other services in the area. Mm -hmm. And like when we were training, when I was actually training one of them before I had left, I was like, you know, I know that you guys probably did certain things different with your CAD and how you EMD things. And like, this is how we do it. So if you have any questions, I never wanted to see anybody that I had put in through training fail because that's just not right. And you want to make sure you're setting people up for success, not up to fail. Yeah. And I felt like that other center that I was like so excited about because I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a 26 commute to minute commute to work instead of an hour with or without traffic. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Plus like that's, it's in the area that I grew up in. So I was confident thinking, oh yeah, I'm, you know, this is going to be great. And then it was just like, wow, I cannot believe the toxicity of this place. Like I had, I would actually text some of my old coworkers and be like, 
I miss you guys. <laughs> I still do. I still keep yeah. in contact with a lot of them. Online. But... I like it first. Like I like my new department, but man, I miss them all of one too, you know? <laughs> and, uh, Actually on occasion, yeah. um, at my new, um, my new job that I've been at it for about a month and a half. Um, I still have to call my old company for backup ambulances if we like go level zero in the city. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, it's Leanne from such and such. And they're like, oh, hey, we didn't know you were there now. And I'm like, oh yeah, hey, what's up? So it's kind of nice to still have that relationship with my call takers. It's like, um, you didn't realize it was me on the phone. Did you just man me? Really? <laughs> First and foremost, you're gonna put some respect in my name. No family. <laughs> but still, I mean, there there were definitely times at that private company that I was just ready to stand up and walk out because of some of the nastier attitudes, which we tried to nip in the butt a little bit. But ultimately that comp center was like my second family. Mm. Like if you had something going on in your life, there was always somebody there to talk to. You took a crappy call, which unfortunately, because we serviced mm, five towns and one comm center, mm -hmm. like you're going to get a crappy call. I would yeah. definitely send my call takers out if they said, hey, Leanne, look, I just took a really bad pediatric call. I'm like, OK, go outside, like yeah. go out inside, go outside for like five minutes, take a break, take a breather. We have enough staff in here. It's fine. Mm -hmm. um, it was a very supportive area and even the upper management like the owners of the company were very transparent with us at all times. So the reason I basically left is because I just couldn't do that commute five days a week anymore. I, I was oh like, no, I can't. My yeah, poor no, car. When I lateraled, I was like, man, my commute technically would be an hour, hour and a half. If I hit some real bad traffic, I was like, I just can't do it. I gotta, I gotta find somewhere closer. It's just a commute's tough. You know, it really is. I mean, when I went in yesterday, I usually work either mids or overnight. So the level of traffic I hit yesterday, because I picked up a shift, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get stuck in traffic. I'm going to be late. I'm not going to have time to grab my coffee. It wasn't that bad. But like going closer into Metro Boston. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm all set with that. Like right outside <laughs> of Boston. Well, since you've kind of been on like both ends of that experience in the toxic comm center, what would... For the, for the folks who are listening, it's like, oh my gosh, Leanne, me too. I feel it. I got these folks in my comp center making me feel, you know, sad, mad, upset at the end of my shift, don't want to go to work. What do you think would have worked for you to, to not feel that? Like, what would you have wanted the people to do? Or what would you have gone back and asked for looking back on that experience and that time in that toxicity? So it was really hard for me to even try to reach out to my immediate supervisor who was part of that um, negative energy. So, I mean, it, being in a new department, I was still trying to learn, you know, the ins and outs, who I should go talk to. And I basically just kept to myself. Mm -hmm. I am not normally a quiet person. I am loud. I have no filter most of the time, which <laughs> is a blessing and a curse. So for me to sit there and be quiet throughout my entire shift is just, yeah, it's, it's like, that's not me. So I, I definitely felt out of my element. And I honestly, I didn't know who I could reach out to. Hmm. I mean, there was a couple of people that or one of the guys that was actually on the department on fire, who I have known probably for at least like 10 plus years. Mm -hmm. um, I used to take care of his on at dialysis. That's how far back we go. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, he had reached out to me like, hey, how's everything going? And I'm just like, 
I don't even know how to describe this at this point. And no. he did kind of give me a hint as to how it was, but I was like, oh no, I'll be fine. Like I'm a strong person. I can handle it mm. was something that I definitely did not expect that came right out of right field. Like during the headlights, I can't believe I let myself get into this situation. Yeah. And I'd say like to anyone who's listening, if you're thinking about doing a lateral transfer or starting out in dispatch, ask around. Like that's the best advice I can give you is see if you know somebody who works that department, even if it's not like in comms, ask, you know, if you know somebody who works on the road as like a a paramedic, a firefighter, or even a police officer, ask them what their interactions have been like, because that'll tell you a lot. And Initially, when I went in for my interview, I did ask, like, okay, you know, what? why is there such a high turnover rate? And they were very transparent. They said, oh, you know, some people lateral transferred to another department because it was closer for them. Okay, like, that, I can take that. Or yeah. somebody lateral transferring to the field. All right, I get that, too. Mm-hmm. So I, my impression was that, okay, they just had a lot of people who transferred out because they had another opportunity. It wasn't because it was toxic. It was because they had another opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I went in thinking, oh, great. This is not going to be like, you know, a toxic work environment. And like the first week that I was there, I saw those red flags and I was just Mm -hmm. like, what did I get myself into? Yeah. And that's such a bummer, right? Because, you know, if you are a supervisor, like I get it, you, we, we got to get folks hired. We got to get people in the door, but if we are not acknowledging that the reason that the seats are empty is that we have created or we have allowed a culture to be created where it is toxic or it doesn't feel welcoming supervisors from, you know, top down have to nip that stuff in the backside because it does create turnover. It creates, I mean, it creates the a negative energy in the room in general, because if there's, lack a staffing shortage i'm gonna be forced in i'm gonna have to work more i need to cover now i'm upset i'm I'm upset in general and now i'm working more you know and then i got to train the new folks and i'm already burned out so it's just an it's an endless cycle and if if you're in these supervisory roles and it's it's tough right like when no one likes confrontation no one likes having to tell the person doing the doing the thing they shouldn't be doing not to be doing it but I'm a big believer that if you create relationships with your people before they're in trouble, when you do have to provide that criticism and that feedback or even a write-up, it's going to be received better because you've already built that relationship and they're, they're going to own it a little more. You know, if I've created a relationship with Leanne outside of Leanne being in trouble and then I have to call Leanne into the room and tell her she did X, Y, Z wrong. Leanne's going to think of it's she's going to fill our relationship first before she fills that right up. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I completely get that because I've had to be the supervisor who's given Mm -hmm. write ups for incorrect call input or just not putting a call in at all, which was one of the mistakes that I had made when I was training at that in that center. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is not like me. But then after I look back on it, I'm like, I was so focused on trying to fit in. And not screw up because I know I'd get yelled at in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. I still ended up making mistakes and mm-hmm. it just, it affected my performance. And when I was supervising at one point, 
I would always say, you know, I would, I would be the one who'd send out the emails about, you know, if you have an issue, feel free to come to any of the supervisors. Like I was definitely more or less the goofball in the room because like I would keep, let's see, what do I have at my desk? I had this little reversible octopus that angry or sad. So usually it was like before coffee was angry, after mm-hmm. coffee was smiley. We also had a dumpster fire. We yeah. named it Sparky. <laughs> so I tried to keep the, the like the environment light so that way people felt comfortable to come to me or any of the other supervisors with an issue. And then if it came down to me having to write someone up, and I absolutely hated doing that. First of all, I don't like writing them out, period. <laughs> Because my chicken scratch. And secondly, because I didn't want to be that bad person who was like, hey, you know, you kind of screwed up. We got to fix this. And I always wanted people to use it as like a learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. But at that other center, it was like, I didn't even get a warning. I didn't get pulled out of the, I got pulled out of the room once and said, hey, you really got to stay on top of this. Okay. Then after that was the, let's go into the chief's office. Yeah. So that, I'm not going to lie. I cried when I got out to my car. Mm-hmm. I was like, what did I do wrong? And then I'm like, wait, no, this might be a blessing. And it really was. It was actually a blessing in disguise because now the center that I'm at is mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. Awesome. Um, my colleagues and I, I mean, some of the people there have been there for over 30 years. Wow. Yeah. That's so amazing. their turnover rate, yeah. not so much. If anything, it's because they retired because <laughs> mm-hmm. they got to retire yeah. or they yeah. like, <laughs> lateral transferred into another um position in the within the hospital because it's technically city dispatch but it's through a hospital mm-hmm. and we also do um air rescue like we do the air medical that's stuff fun. too yeah so that's something new for me too but still I'm like I'm still learning but as far as the dispatching side I'm good but the people in that room are super supportive like if you do something well they're like oh great job you know I just QA'd your call from yesterday and Mm -hmm. the way you handled it I'm like whoa wait a second you're actually giving me praise I'm not used to this (laughs) I'm like yell at me yell at me before you give me the compliment (laughs) well my you know your initial reaction is like hey I listened to your call and you're like oh god yeah right what did I do that initial reaction come out over those airwaves let me tell me (laughs) let me know (laughs) but still i mean the difference between my current center and the the center before it's like night and day um my trainer is very was very thorough even though i had dispatch experience did not expect me to be perfect which is great but it's just it's hard when you go into a new center or even just a new job or a line of work Mm -hmm. and you're just like oh my gosh what did i get myself into yeah, I think we we need to remind ourselves like we have to give each other grace, right? The trainee has to give their trainer grace because the that's a tough job being responsible for the nine one one caller, let alone the trainee who's taking it. As well as the trainer has to give the trainee some grace that like, hey, you've been doing this forever. I'm just learning, you know. So we got to really give each other grace and understanding through that process. And when you do that, it just creates a better environment for everyone to thrive in. It really does. And the negative energy, it does affect other people. Like people don't realize that like the more negative comments you make, the backhanded comments under your breath, someone's going to hear it. It might not be about them, but they're still going to take it to heart and be like, wow, why would you say something like that about someone? Yeah. And I think everyone knows that coworker who comes in the room and just feels like they suck the air out of it. Like it was all good. Everyone was chilling. 
having a good time and they come in for their shift and you're like, mm, you know, like yeah, that energy vampire. Yeah. It just, it just <laughs> everyone, everyone has a person like that or has had a person like that in their life and they're working and their schooling and their personal life, you know, and we just don't want to be those people. We want to provide, you know, a good working environment. The job's hard enough. You know, we say this often, the job's hard enough. We want to give ourselves grace, give each other grace, understand we're humans under these headsets and we're going to make mistakes. It is not if, but when, and proper training, proper support is going to lessen the amount of mistakes that we make. And it's going to provide for an atmosphere to have a better bounce back when we do have to adjust ourselves after a mistake is made. Exactly. So I actually use a mantra to try to get through like if I'm having a tough day. So my mother and my stepfather live on Maui. So I grew up like with like Hawaiian language immersion. So in 2000, (laughs) why I'm living in New England, don't ask me. Um... (laughs) I tell her all the time. So we moving back. It's too expensive. I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a mantra my mom taught me when I was actually training for the Boston Marathon. And it's called, it says Emua, which means move forward, press forward. So if I'm having a bad day dispatching or I've taken a bad call, I usually just try to keep that in the back of my head. Because it's like push forward, don't give up, kind of like persevere. And that's something that's definitely helped me through a lot of the harder calls that I've taken or just shifts. Like if we've had an MCI or something of that nature and it's like, oh my gosh, is today over yet? Oh, wait, it's an hour past my shift and I'm staying. because it's been two minutes. <laughs> so it's I always use that. Minutes. I always use that because like the last like, two miles of the Boston marathon, I had to tell myself, okay, you're not going to quit. You've come this far, go get your medal and your Gatorade. (laughs) So um, Imua is just something that I try to teach my son as well, because I'm like, you know what, having a tough day, Imua. And he does, he says the same thing back to me because we raised him to kind of use the Hawaiian language as well. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, because it's true, like little things like that, work for folks, you know what I mean? And the more we share our tools and the things that work for us, the more we're going to be able to help other people make it through those tough days and those hard days. So as we come to a close, I want to ask you the question I love asking everybody, which is what advice would you give someone who is considering a career in dispatch? Keep an open mind and trust your gut. Mm. So I tell this to my 18 year old who's going off to college in the fall, (laughs) life lessons, trust your instincts. It will never steer you wrong. Mm -hmm. Like if you're contemplating a career in public safety, explore the options. Like Ashley said about, um, you know, if you want to do fireside, police side or EMS, because they're all completely different animals. Yes, they all work together. But when you're dispatching a call taking, they're all completely different as far as the natures, what the questions you want to ask. So if you want to explore where your strengths and weaknesses are, if you think you might want to do medical, take a class on medical terminology Mm. (laughs) because that's going to help in the long run. Yeah. Um, Great advice. So just look where your niche is. Like, honestly, I found it because in dispatch after being on the road, because I'm like, oh. Well, I could actually do this. I know what the nature of the call is. I know what type of vehicle to send and what priority fire and PD is definitely different for me, even though I've done fire it's I've never actually had to like tone out a structure fire or anything. And as far as police goes, there was one I'd had 
um, a really rough call where it, it involved multiple agencies. But then when we did the post-incident management um, briefing, it was like, nope, you guys did everything right. Leanne, you made the right calls. You did everything you were supposed to. But it was still something that I was like, I can't do this. Like, this is just not for me. So try to find your strong suit if you're looking to get into dispatch. And again, keep an open mind. Awesome. Well, again, Leanne, thank you so much for jumping on here with me and sharing your story, your experience, and your mantra. I really do appreciate that. And I look forward to chatting later. Okay. All right. All right. I'll be right back with you. Okay. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here on another amazing episode of Let's Talk Dispatch. Leanne, again, thank you so much for being willing to come out and share your experience. I know in the dispatch world, it's a tough job and there are a lot of toxic environments out there. I know if you're listening, you're going, been there, done that. Let's just try to be kind to one another, give each other grace and understand that the job is tough enough and that we need more dispatchers in these seats. And if we are creating negative environments, no one's going to want to sit in them. So give each other grace. Of course, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, like, subscribe, tell a friend. If you do want to join me on an episode, you can head to the raspydispatcher.com, pick a date and time that works for you, and we can get on here and have a little chat, as well as you can submit a written story on our website as well as anonymous as you would like to stay to just share your piece. So thank you all again for the support. And until next time, stay raspy. Thanks for joining us here on Let's Talk Dispatch. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a five-star review. Consider joining our Patreon for exclusive content, early access to episodes, and discounts on merch at theraspydispatcher.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. All of these things help support the creation of more content because the world needs more dispatchers. Thank you all again for the love and continued support. And until next time, stay raspy.